Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigalov was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigalov was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigalov. Right today, I have a very special guest, and it's my pleasure and honor to introduce Attorney Davis Younes. Now, you may have heard his name, and you may have seen his, his uh, memo floating around. He was the attorney that was helping Bill Mosley uh, on his board of inquiry. Now, sir, can you just kind of explain what's going on for that? Because a lot of this legal speak and legalese is, is difficult for, for me or for the, you know, the lay person to understand what all this means. Yeah, hey, thank you for the opportunity uh, to come and speak to you. And just praise God for what happened to uh, in Lieutenant Mosley's case. So uh, basic understanding of what happened for Lieutenant Mosley is as a military officer with more than six years of service in the Navy, he had the right to due process in a board, meaning three independent military officers, senior officers were asked to look at his case, look at the legal standards, and make a determination as to whether or not he committed misconduct, and then more importantly, whether or not he should be permitted to continue to serve in the United States Navy. So what happened in his case is, this is a, a Navy lieutenant who refused to get the vaccine despite what the Navy said was a lawful order at his board. We presented evidence to show this is not a lawful order to three senior Navy uh, officers, and they found in our favor. They found uh, Lieutenant Mosley did not mis commit misconduct by refusing the vaccine, and he was retained in the Navy. Now, it would seem, you know, from the layperson, that this would set some sort of pre legal precedence, but, but this wasn't a legal proceeding. Is that correct? Right. This it wasn't a court proceeding. This is purely administrative, purely internal to the military. So the military will always call these hiring and firing decisions. That's what they say happens at an administrative board. So it will set uh, precedent in the minds of other military members as far as uh, public policy goes. And significantly, uh, Lieutenant Mosley gets to continue to serve. And so this has gotten a lot of attention. It's gotten a lot of attention for the right reasons, but it does have other military members asking why. Why Why did this happen? Why did these independent officers look at this and determine this was not misconduct? So we're hoping it will have an impact. We're hoping it will uh, potentially impact and change policy. It doesn't bind any other of the uh, any other hearings, but I have dozens of clients that are going to be facing the exact same type of proceeding within the military. Um, so we're hopeful that this will start momentum um, and that people will listen. They'll start to understand the basics of what we're dealing with. So I think that's it's important to note the distinction just like you did about setting that legal precedence. But I think it's amazing. Like, like this is, this is a miracle, and I can't describe it any other way, that, that you've been able to take a pry bar and open people's eyes to the idea that this is not a legal order. And there was, there was three senior officers that agreed with that. Is that a correct statement? It, it absolutely is. And what was so fascinating is that, you know, we've seen such a, just an information deficit when it comes to um, not just the law and legal standards, but also when it comes to uh, medical treatment in these vaccines. So what we were able to do is demonstrate under the law, military members are protected. There have been horrible things that have happened with medical experiments, forced um, 
injections, inoculations, medical treatment for military members in the past. So Congress reacted to that finally. They passed laws and protections for the military. The most important one in this case is an, a law under Title 10 that says the military cannot force any of its members to receive an experimental vaccine or a vaccine that is being used under an emergency use authorization. It has to be FDA approved. That's a critical point in these cases. We were able to present that evidence to these board members and, and they had no understanding. They had never been presented a counterpoint. They'd never been presented anything. They'd simply been told this is a lawful order because the Department of Defense and the Pentagon says it's a lawful order. Regardless of federal law, they've been ignoring that. And, and these members were stunned. The, the looks on their faces, um, they looked at me like I was crazy and we literally handed them uh, the relevant portions of federal statutes and they could read them for themselves and look at the Navy lawyers and say, is this true? Are they right? And the Navy lawyers had to look at them and say, well, yes, there, there is no FDA approved vaccine available for, for sailors at this time. Fascinating. That, that's just mind blowing because it seems like this is, this has put a chip in the wall that will cause the entire wall to collapse. Because if at one point, at one location in the world, that someone can, can have their eyes opened and see that this is an unlawful order, then how can that not be used as evidence that all of it is an unlawful order, even in the Army, even in the Air Force, uh, even for the Marines, for the Coast Guard, that what they're doing is unlawful? Yeah, I, I think it has a huge impact. And what's interesting about these administrative boards, uh, the Navy, so we worked with the Navy Defense Council. Military members are entitled to military council to represent them. So in this case, in this board, we had Navy Council working with us. And what was fascinating is after it was over, she'd done several other of these cases with, with no success. No one would listen to to these arguments in these other cases. And, uh, you know, praise God, in Lieutenant Mosley's case, we were able to break through. Um, but one of the first things she wanted to do is we need a, we need a written declaration. We need uh, a write-up, a basic understanding of what happened in this board because I want to take that and I want to give it to the other boards and pass it out to the other military defense council. That it's just so challenging in the military because the military has taken a position that does not make sense uh, under the law. It doesn't make sense with logic and common sense. Basically, they have bureaucratic functionaries in the Pentagon saying, we believe that the experimental emergency uh, use authorization injection is interchangeable with an FDA approved product. Therefore, this is a lawful order. I mean, just imagine that, right? I mean, you don't have to be, to, to be a lawyer to understand that Congress passes laws. It's a federal law that they cannot force this on military members unless they have an FDA approved product available. And then the military Pentagon functionaries and bureaucrats, I believe for political and other reasons, simply um, push out a memo that says we think they're legally interchangeable. So we've decided it's a lawful order and we're going to we're going to enforce it. Well, I think it's amazing is first they had to pass a law saying that you can't force anything on someone else. I mean, just just that in itself blew my mind. And since I've, I've come into this world and I've met some amazing people, um, actually down the street from me lives Doe from Doe versus Rumsfeld. And I was introduced to Doe through Dale Saran. And, and right. if anybody's 
was involved in this before, you know, I, I had no idea. Like before I was like conscious or conscious of the world, um, these brave men were fighting this same exact fight and put those laws in the books to protect us. That's today. right. Yeah, that, that's just absolutely seems, right. Like, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I was just going to say real quick. I, I think that was so powerful because one of the things we did at this board is we presented information from that those anthrax cases, right? We presented information from it. And the board members, I think that was really compelling to them because we could look them in the eye and say, look, the military has done this to us before. And, and these senior officers have been in the military long enough. I've been in the military long enough to remember what was going on with those anthrax cases, right? Unfortunately, I was, I was new enough in the military. I wasn't required to receive um, the really, really problematic anthrax vaccine. Um, but some of these other folks were, and they know, I mean, I, they had to have known people that were either adversely impacted by it or were kicked out over it. Um, and that was powerful to them because I could look at them and say, look, Lieutenant Mosley just wants to continue to serve. Last time we went through this, it took federal courts over five years to come back and say to the military, you guys were wrong, uh, but that was very powerful. So it's a great point, very important. Well, I didn't even think about that. Some of those those men on that, that board were the same officers that had friends in, from that same generation. That's, that is powerful. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it seem like it goes against morality to, to force a group of people to do something that goes against their their religious beliefs, their moral beliefs, their personal beliefs. Doesn't that seem like that is is morally morally reprehensible? Right, absolutely. And I will say, I I got heavily involved in this, so I'm in this fight for myself. I don't know if you and I have talked about that, but I have 19 years of service, so I'm still in the reserves um, as a lieutenant colonel. And I've submitted my religious accommodation request. It was denied. I've submitted my appeal recently. And so um, obviously I have strong feelings about this personally, but you're, you're absolutely right. There's a huge moral and ethical component to this. Um, part of the, the biggest problem with uh, forcing this vaccine on military members is the lack of informed consent. And that is required for an experimental medical treatment, for anything like that. You have to have informed consent. It's just you're not even capable of getting informed consent on these injections right now because they're not releasing all the accurate information. And it feels like every day we find out more bad news uh, about the safety and efficacy of these vaccines, um, as they're calling them. So that's part right. of this. But there, there is a religious component to this, I think, is critically important. A lot of people ask, well, you're in the military. All these folks are military members. Just follow orders. You've had other vaccines. Just, you know, shut up in color, basically. And what I have to remind people is our military is based on the principle that we don't give up our constitutional rights when we join the military. We swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution, to uphold those highest principles um, morally and ethically. We're called on to do that. We're called on. We're trained in officer training part of our procedures to challenge orders if we believe they're not lawful. So there's huge religious, uh, faith-based, moral and ethical components to this that are just fascinating. And that's an interesting point that you just brought up that we are, um, and this is my understanding, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but are we not as officers and as senior enlisted uh, duty-bound to disobey an order that we believe is unlawful? 
Yes, absolutely we are. Um, the, the Uniform Code of Military Justice recognizes that, calls for that. Um, the Lieutenant Cali case in Vietnam is a famous case of that because the defense in, in that case for atrocities, war crimes in the past has always been, I was just following orders. I mean, go back to, to World War II, Nazi Germany, atrocities that were committed. The defense of those officers at the Nuremberg trials even was, I'm, I was just following orders. And so our, our military calls on us to a higher standard. We are not to simply uh, just follow orders um, because of the concerns that we would do something illegal, unlawful, immoral. And, and so it's absolutely part of our core, it's part of our training. We are to question those orders that, that may be unlawful. That's what Lieutenant Mosley did. He asked for clarification. He asked these questions. He went to Navy medical facilities multiple times to ask for FDA-approved, properly labeled vaccines. You know, he called the manufacturers and said, Pfizer, called the Pfizer reps, are you producing FDA-approved vaccine in the United States that's available for order? No. We had a declaration from a military officer that we presented to our board where Pfizer, the company itself, was saying, yes, we, that's not available. We haven't produced it. Same thing with Moderna and the spike vax. So absolutely, not only is that part of our core and what we're called on to do as military members and military officers, it's exactly what Lieutenant Mosley did. And I do think that was compelling to the board as well because they could say, wow, he really did challenge this as we're trained to do in good faith. Okay, so for us, a little background, we just had some technical errors. We're, we're back. Uh, I'm sure the, the viewer, the listener will not hear any of those, those delays and those things because we can cut them out. Um, but what we kind of left off was we were talking about a defense of, of unlawful action and the defense that's been used often in the past is, well, just following orders. And, and I've actually heard that before. Well, that's just the order. we got to follow it, Sigaloff. That defense does not hold weight in court, does it? It absolutely does not. We're called to a higher standard. We, we swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And as American service members, we're called to a higher standard. We're called to follow the law regardless of the orders um, that we receive. And that's just part of our encoded DNA and our training to challenge those things. Ask questions. Ask good questions. Certainly there's a difference between the operational environment and combat and, and following orders as far as the timing goes. But we are absolutely still held to that standard. And if, if a military officer is involved in a war crime, following orders is not going to be a defense. I was just following orders. Will not work as a defense. And I think that's interesting because so often, you know, growing up, I, I certainly heard this often and even thought this myself, that, oh, well, how did those, how did those people in Germany just go along with this? How did they do that? I mean, how could you have these these men who were husbands and, and why, you know, husbands to their to their wife and their children and how these women who were guards at these, these facilities, how could they, they do these horrible atrocities and to the various people they did them to, to the Jews and to other prisoners. And, but aren't we in a similar situation when people use the same defense of, oh, I was just following orders. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and, it's just such a core tenet of our military, and it's what has made our military different, and I think arguably successful. Where we've been successful as a military is a mindset that, that each individual is accountable before God, before their, the people of their nation, um, for their actions. And, and simply saying, hey, I was following order has, has never been enough. 
And that just, I, I think that's part of what's led to, to battlefield success. I mean, we could talk about small unit tactics and non-commissioned officers and what we expect of them and how that works and go into that. But that's just part of who we are. But ultimately, if you, if you look at it from a perspective of individual accountability for God, each individual being accountable for our moral, uh, for our morality, for our ethics, um, that's just part of our system that's been part of it. And that's still what's expected of military officers today. I think it's an interesting point that you're bringing up. And, and I love that, that you're obviously uh, have religious belief, I'm assuming Christian, is that often people forget that our Western law is based on Judeo-Christian principles. And one of the really just striking things that I never understood till a few years ago when I was listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson, where he says that the Bible is so strikingly different because at the very beginning, when it starts off, as soon as we start talking about people, you've got a man and a woman, and they're naked before God, or naked before the law. They're, they're equal. They both stand before the law and before God. And, and that's how our law is is modeled after is that not correct yeah that's that's absolutely right and and i think that that's just it's a foundational principle um that that we have to recognize quite frankly our constitution doesn't even make sense without understanding the deeper foundation um of that judeo-christian ethic and that that background so absolutely something that that informs what i do as an attorney and just a critical part of my life but yeah without that background without that ethic and that understanding of a creator God, um, our constitution doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but can you tell me a little bit more about you? Like what kind of law have you practiced um, up until now? And is it is this the same as it always been or is have you practiced in a different area? Yeah, so my background is, is really military. I went to law school um, in Pennsylvania, Dickinson uh, School of Law, and 9-11 happened when I was in law school. So I thought about serving, talked about serving, um, even applied to the Naval Academy when I was in high school. Um, but I, I also knew and I felt a strong calling from God to, to get into the law. So long story short, 9-11 happened when I was in law school and I really felt like it was my turn um, to serve. To sign up and serve so that's what i did so i was on active duty in the air force for 11 years uh, doing primarily uh, criminal law within the military ucmj that's what i was um, asked to do transition from active duty i worked full-time uh, for two years for the army in the national guard and then transitioned into private practice because what i enjoy is trial work i like to have that individual impact so i do a lot of military work represented a lot of military members all over the world in court martial and administrative cases um, and so now in my own, with my own law firm, um, I do some work for nonprofits. I do some individual uh, criminal defense cases, but the vast majority of the work I do is military members. So even leading up to this uh, vaccine issues and all the issues surrounding it, I had been representing more and more military members who were facing religious prosecution and religious persecution. Um, from Navy, Navy officers who uh, kept Bibles in their office. And if someone asked questions or said, hey, you know, what helps you be a good officer? Or what do you think is something influential um, for you as an officer? And, and we're taught to ask questions like that in the military, right? That's part of the officer training I had. And this Navy officer would say, well, the most important influential thing for me has been this book, the Bible. 
um, and in helping me to be an officer. So no pressure from me, but if you want to take one, I have a free copy for you. You're welcome to take it. Um, so we caught a lot of pressure for that. Um, and then um, he dared uh, recommend against paying for a transgender surgery um, for one of his sailors. So all he did was within the law, as he's asked to do, recommend against it for operational readiness reasons. Um, and uh, they tried to separate him over that. Um, now, fortunately, he was retained, but I've also been representing chaplains who are in a very similar situation. If they're from a traditional um, Orthodox Christian, a traditional Christian, traditional evangelical perspective, uh, they're being asked to do things that are absolutely contrary to uh, biblical teaching, to the law word of God. And uh, if they refuse, they get in trouble with the military. If they follow through from it, they, they can lose their ordination. They can lose their ability to, to, to be uh, an ordained minister. So all of this has been coming together. I think God just graciously prepared me to be ready for this battle um, with some of the other battles that we've seen coming over the last few years. I think that's that, that story you gave about the transgender um, issue. I've come up to that and, and probably I was suspended, you know, like back in September. So before all this was a real issue, but I did have a patient once similar situation where he was going through a transition, um, trying to, to have everyone buy onto the fact that he thought he was a woman. And, and I try to be as respectful as possible, but also we have to understand reality that we're in and no one can ever change his, well, maybe we can nowadays because uh, changing genome, because I think we can change genome now, um, but we can't change XY genes. You know, he's always going to have an X and a Y. And I told him, you know, sir, I, I'm not going to be able to help you during this process. I have personal beliefs that prevent me from doing that. But I also have medical evidence that says that it's, it's not helpful for you. And it, it's a life-endangering procedure to have you, you go through this, this transition, if you will. And, and luckily that has never come up for me. But we're afforded those rights as professionals, as you as a professional, as me as a professional, to, to pick what we want to do. We're not conscripted to, to apply a service. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and one of the critical things for, for medical professional, legal professionals, um, clergy in the military is we come into the military with a license, right? I come into the military with a license to practice law. You come in with a medical license. Uh, and so one of the constant tensions you have in the military is the military might ask you to do something and, and we're required to say, well, I have to check with my licensing authority, my state licensing authority. I have to check with my state bar to ensure that that is, is in keeping. But that's what the military wants. It's just part of the system um, ingrained into it. And it, I hope, I pray that it protects our service members. It, it protects them medically, legally, and otherwise um, by having those checks and balances in place. Certainly, and and I'm I have been wrapped up in that that particular that same exact area where like the army says this is what you'll do to practice medicine, and I'm telling them no I can't do that because that goes against my me medical ethics. It goes against everything that I that I've learned in medical school is you you can't coerce people. You can't not give informed consent, and and if I can offer a medical exemption, then than I should, especially if the patient wants it. I mean, obviously it's the patient wants it, but to prevent me from writing those exemptions to soldiers, then that, that's telling me how to practice medicine. 
you know, preventing me from using ivermectin off-label, whoever gave that, that order is practicing medicine without a license because they're preventing me from being able to give life-saving medication. That's right. That's such a critical point in all of this for people to understand that. And the military doesn't tell military you which. Members... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, I was going to just say, I think that's an important point about the medical exemptions. One of the huge things that has me um, just appalled is the way people with legitimate medical reasons not to get an experimental injection, not to get this treatment, um, have been refused medical exemptions um, and the way that military physicians have been treated. So it's just, to me, that's absolutely shocking. Uh, it's appalling. It's, it's immoral the way people have been treated. But I, numerous people that I've talked to have had s serious adverse reactions to the vaccine. There's no question it's an adverse reaction to the vaccine. And I've had several who Okay, again, so we had a little technical difficulty. This is just for the viewer and the listener to understand like why this conversation may be a little choppy. Uh, it seems like there may be some forces uh, either on this earth, probably not, and more in the unseen realm that don't want us to continue this conversation, but we're doing the best we can anyways. So we kind of left off. Um, can the military tell you how to practice law? Can the military tell me how, how to practice and what I can do to practice medicine? Is, is that something that's within a commander's purview? Is that something they can order? Not really, and that's interesting. The, and I mentioned this a little bit before, but it's just so, so critical to repeat. I was commissioned into the Air Force as an attorney. So I was given a commission in the Air Force as an officer, but as an attorney. So I came to the Air Force as an attorney. Most physicians in the military, you, cannot, you can't even get that position until you have your license. So it's a foundational issue. If I do something that violates the law or violates Pennsylvania as, as the holder of my bar license, the grantor of my bar license, if I do something that violates the ethical and moral standards that I'm held to there, then I lose my license to practice law. I can't practice law anywhere, let alone in the military. So there is a balance and a tension. The military cannot have us do things that would violate our professional licenses, um, and the moral and ethical standards were held to there. So that has been part of what's going on with this uh, medical treatment, ordering this experimental medical treatment for military members is, is doctors being ordered to do it. Um, and then attorneys are put in a very difficult position because there are many, many military attorneys who look at exactly the same things we are, see the, the lawfulness issues, see the moral and ethical issues um, and feel trapped. You know, Some are going along with it, some are fighting it, um, some are just recusing themselves and just stepping back and not having anything to do with it. But absolutely, we don't just like we don't give up constitutional rights as military members, as professionals in the military, we're expected to hold to a standard and the military can't ask us to compromise that standard. Right, because as you had mentioned before, we've all taken an oath. And I don't know if, if lawyers take an oath, I, I probably should know that, but I know as a physician, I've taken an oath first to do no harm and then second to to defend the constitution right. all of the amendments not just the select ones that we like and not not just the things that we we prefer but all of it so that's what has motivated me to start this whole podcast to have guests on like you so that the the listener the viewer can see oh they really can't suspend Segaloff 
for giving up medical exemptions because he was following the law and his two oaths. He was doing what was right. That's right. And, and again, it's one of those things that if we, if we were doing something that, that was immoral and unethical and we were ordered to do it, we, we could be court-martialed for it later. So, you know, as evidence comes out, as we see more adverse reactions, as these things come out, as I think they will be revealed over time, I, I really believe that, um, there will be people in the military that will be subject to prosecution. There are senior leaders in the Pentagon that may be court-martialed or subject to other types of prosecution over the way all of this has been handled. And, and there may well be, it may be in God's plan for there be, to be a reckoning and it will not be a defense for those those officers and those commanders ordering these things um, that it was that they were just following orders. That that won't be good enough when there's basic things to be able to show them morally, ethically, and just under federal statutes that their approach to this is wrong. Okay, again, we're just having some technical issues today, so um, again, the viewer listener won't see the difference, but. Um, but we're going to keep pushing through and keep trying to record and talk and have this conversation as much because this is an important conversation that people must hear, especially senior leadership. Because what you had just said was that senior leaders, those in command positions, I'm assuming, are the ones that could be liable if there are trials someday. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that was my point. They could be held accountable. And another thing I think is so critical is that these religious accommodations, so that's another aspect of this, these religious accommodations that are being denied. Um, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act has um, accountability, personal accountability for government officials. This is fascinating. So as a JAG, as an attorney, if, if military leaders came to me and asked me for advice, I'd be telling them, well, sir, ma'am, you could be held personally accountable for your violations of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, financially liable, personally liable. The Supreme Court um, just two years ago upheld that, held that an individual government official could be personally financially liable for the damage done by violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. That's critically important for any of us who've submitted a religious accommodation request. We have a right um, to practice our religion, to have free exercise of religion within the military unless there's demonstrated and proven a compelling governmental interest and no alternative, no less restrictive means available. So. It's not just personal accountability <clears throat> for violating a lawful order or violating the law. <clears throat> Excuse me. There is personal accountability and potential financial liability for violating military members' religious freedom. So all of that is an important message that needs to get out there. Military leaders just aren't aware. Their JAGs are not properly advising them on that point. What would you? What advice would you give to... Uh, service members, because I've heard this a few times. Well, I didn't put a religious accommodation in because I'm just not too particularly religious. I just think it's, it just, it doesn't seem right and I don't want to do it. And what kind of advice would you give to them? Because it seems like their personal, personal beliefs. I mean, to me, that would be their personal religious beliefs, even if it doesn't align with the example, maybe like Catholicism. There's a lot of Catholics that do not want this, but the Pope has said that it's, it's an act of love, loving thy neighbor to get this into your body to protect your neighbor when it still you may you still get ill with it um so that some of that's kind of hard to justify and put your mind to go through that that gymnastics but what what advice would you give those people that say well i'm not just i'm not particularly religious or my religion doesn't doesn't think that i should not get this 
Yeah, I, I would say a couple of things um, about that. You know, for the law, what the law says is it's not simply religion. It's also strongly held personal sincere beliefs. So under the law, as it stands, the law of the land is an atheist could have a moral and ethical objection based on their belief system to this vaccine, and they would be entitled to a religious accommodation, um, the same as a Christian, Catholic, um, or, or any other faith, a Muslim faith. Many Muslims would have an objection to this vaccine based on their faith um, and their teachings. So absolutely, there is a, a matter of conscience. Our military recognizes, our law recognizes, conscientious objectors. It does not have to be tied to a particular faith. Um, the other, one of the interesting battles I've had to fight, um, I, you and I haven't spoken about this, I actually resigned um, from my position as a, a pastor elder at a church over um, some of these disagreements and other things because there were some Christians, much like the Pope, who were taking the position, there's, there's no religious objection. You can't possibly have a religious objection to this medical treatment. Um, and so as we move forward and as this follows along, I think that that's something that's been part of this from the beginning. But absolutely, anyone is entitled to make a moral and ethical objection. It doesn't have to be in line with their religious faiths. But I would also say um, for those who are Catholic, those who are uh, Christian, evangelical, there's plenty of resources out there that demonstrate um, that this is about your personal faith. You don't have to have a pastor sign off on a letter uh, verifying your belief system in order for it to be valid. If you look at the scripture, you pray, and you're prompted to object to this, you are permitted to do that regardless of whether a pastor or a religious leader agrees with you. You can be part of a denomination or church, a religion of one, um, and still be entitled to, to protection. Well, and then one of the things that I want you to restate, because I think it's so important, because there are some out there that have no religious or even, even any faith, and they, they claim to be atheists, that there is no God, or that they don't believe in a God, maybe Gnostic. But you had said something that was very interesting, and I want you to just highlight that one more time, that even if you're atheist, the religious accommodation still applies to those people. That, that's absolutely right. The, the religious accommodation process is about sincerely held beliefs. And what the law says um, in the United States is you can be, it doesn't have to be a part of a formal religion or anything else. So you can be an atheist um, and have a moral, ethical, conscience-based objection to something. And you're entitled to the same protections um, as a person uh, of a particular faith or denomination or anything else. And just to follow on on that, there isn't a, a content-based based test when it comes to religion in the United States. So you can become the only member of a, of a religion that worships the moon because you made it out. It's, you believe it's made out of cheese and you worship the cheese moon god so you don't consume dairy products. I mean, that, that could be your religious faith. And it isn't a test of whether or not other people agree with you or think that's ridiculous. It's a test of, is that sincerely held? And do you live your life consistent with that belief? So if you can show, hey, yeah, for the past six months since I converted to this faith where I worship the moon, I haven't consumed dairy products and I'm living my life consistent with that, then, then that would be entitled to do an appropriate consideration under the law. So it's not a content-based test. It's about the, the sincere nature of your, your beliefs and about your conscience. 
Yeah, this is interesting. I don't know if you've seen any of the, because it has to do with sincere beliefs and, and religious tests almost. Have you seen any of the paperwork that the chaplains were given of questions that they should ask? Or I think it's more of a should than, than must ask when they're interviewing soldiers to see if, or service members to see if they have a um, deeply held belief. Have you seen that? I absolutely have, and and you know you say should with the Coast Guard, and we got access to some documentation early on that the Coast Guard was t trying to teach their chaplains how to ask questions in such a way as to trap um, military members. We've seen other guidance that went out to the other services um, through the chaplaincy where they were told start talking, bring up politics first. You as the chaplain in this interview, bring up politics first. And then when you write your memo, put down that rather than bringing up religion first, the military member brought up politics first, and then you can deny or recommend denial of this saying, it seems like it's more political than it is uh, faith-based. So that was a fascinating issue. Now we were able to expose that, others were able to expose that early on, so they had to kind of back off of that. But there was absolutely political pressure from the highest levels on chaplains to find ways to ask trap questions so that it would seem as if military members didn't have sincere beliefs. This is definitely a, a Bonhoeffer-like moment. It's not exactly the same because we're not pushing people into camps, but but the damage that this is causing to people is is similar, similar enough to where we can we can learn from Bonhoeffer in these situations, and and we need more chaplains. In it. And I'm I'm very encouraged that this past week there was a uh, a lawsuit that that was filed. I believe it was I don't know how many ten, thirty. You have probably better knowledge of this of how many chaplains came together and said no, this is not right, and we will not stand for it. Yeah, there's a, lar a large group. There's a lot more behind the scenes that are part of that group, but very specifically a group of them. I can't remember the exact number either, but I've, I've spoken to some of those folks that are, are part of that litigation um, that have been a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Chaplains coming together, filing litigation to fight and challenge this. And, and I'll tell you, interestingly, after that sort of first initial problem with chaplains being pushed to... Um, to just you know trick military members into saying the wrong things so they could recommend against these religious accommodations. I haven't really seen that as much lately. I do think a lot of chaplains have taken a strong stand um, and the vast majority of memos that I see from the chaplains for these religious accommodations are recommending approval of the accommodations. They're out, that, that's the most common outcome is that the chaplains are seeing these as sincerely held, the chaplains are recommending approval, um, and I've even uh, gotten access to um, documents where in the review, the religious review team process, the chaplains are strongly advocating for approval um, and asking hard questions and just sort of being ignored um, on their input in this. But absolutely many, many, my own uh, religious accommodation request, chaplain strongly recommended approval and that, that recommendation has been ignored. Yeah, and, and there are chaplains standing. I'm very, very happy that there are chaplains standing. And even if, let's say, a chaplain believed that they want the shot and they think it will be helpful for them, it's good to see that there's chaplains. Because I, I know a chaplain here who, who I interviewed with, and he, he received the shot, but he was still 
said that, yes, Sigloff has very deeply held beliefs that are congruent with his lifestyle. He's not just, just saying this. He, he believes it. He, he has a knowledge of, his, of what he claims is religion. He has a knowledge to show that he does. That you don't get overnight by making things up. That's right. It almost sounds like a, a joke where we've got a doctor, a lawyer, and a, and a chaplain walk into it. <laughs> but, but this is great that, that God has given these three groups of professionals so much ability to change the world, really. To change future, you know, precedents for future law. To, to, to set the example for generations to come. And I think this is just an amazing place that God has placed us in. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Just a quick aside to, um, again, we're having technical difficulties. I think this is, um, could be a coincidence, but however, in the, in the Jewish language, I am not a, a biblical scholar in the sense that I know Hebrew, but I know some words, and I know that there is no word for coincidence in Hebrew, which is interesting because if that's God's language and that's um, where all ideas come from, then there's no idea that coincidence exists. And that was the third break that we've had, which is the most breaks in recording I've ever had. So I'm glad we're using this program. Otherwise, we would have lost so much valuable information that you're sharing with us. Uh, one other quick thing that I want to say is this idea about worshiping the moon because it's cheese. That would be an absolute disaster because I love cheese, butter, all sorts of dairy. As you can see, 100% non-vegan. Don't eat vegetables. Haven't had a vegetable in over two years. And am the healthiest I've ever been. Just a quick plug there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I'm with you. That's, uh, yeah, I'm 100% non-vegan as well. So, um, well, I want to be respectful of your time, sir, and I, I truly and and immensely grateful that you were able to take some time with me today. Um, what last few words do you want to leave us with? And if people want to help you, how can they do that? Yeah, so I, I would just. Biggest thing would be an encouragement to anyone that's out there, whether you're in the military, you know a military member or otherwise, be encouraged. God's in control. Um, there's a lot of people that are in this fight. I, I think truth is going to win out in the end. We don't know what God's ultimate plan is for this, but um, praise God, we can be a part of it. Um, there is, uh, for Lieutenant Mosley's case, it was an organization called Truth for Health. Truth, F-O-R, Health. Um, that was uh, that funded it gave a very generous grant to help him out so truthful health is a great place to go to find out more information to seek help um, they've been in it there's other organizations as well that I've worked with but for lieutenant Mosley's case they provided the grant for his funding so definitely check out truth for health and, and you and I have a connection through truth for health as I'm on their military advisory council uh, which is a great opportunity I've been able to meet just absolutely amazing people like yourself i mean just giants in in this in this fight to have the law applied as it is written which is it sounds like we shouldn't have to do that but this is where we are in this world um, but yeah truth for health is a great place to donate if you'd like to uh if you feel called to do that um and i just you've given such a message of hope and and i and i just thank you for that and i thank god that, that he's put you in this position to give this message of hope that you have been helpful in making courage more contagious than fear. All glory to God. I appreciate the work you're doing and, and look forward to talking again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. Just a reminder for everyone out there, due to uniform of the day, the full armor of God, let's all make courage more contagious than fear. <laughs>